This is episode 63 of the 200 Churches Podcast. In here you talk about growing from 60 to 65 people in a year uh, with 10 people uh, being saved, right? Having 10 salvation yeah, decisions. Yeah, yeah, Is better than going from 100 people to 150 people, but, but there's no salvation decisions. I would call the church that goes from 60 to 65 and 10 people got saved much healthier, far greater kingdom impact, and in the long term, probably going to rise up and go farther. Thank you for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast, where we're focused on pastors of small churches. 200 Churches. Every Wednesday, we release a podcast episode that will lift your spirits, lighten your load, and let you laugh. Today, the guys are joined by Dan Ryland, the pastor's coach. You can find Dan at danryland.com. Now here are two guys who lead and pastor in a 200 church, the Fred and Barney of ministry podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. I'm Johnny Craig, and as usual, I'm here with the the man, the myth, the legend, Dan Ryland. <laughs> we are here with Dan Ryland. Dan, how are uh, you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing good. No complaints on this end. It is gorgeous up here in Northwest Iowa, which is something you usually don't get to say on the first day of spring, but it really, really is. We have a window open in the opulent and luxurious 200 Churches studio, so we're glad to be on the line with you. <laughs> it's a beautiful day here in Atlanta, too. We are really happy to be done with snowpocalypse or <laughs> snowmageddon, as everybody's Snow- been calling it. Snowmageddon. I love it. Now, yeah. You guys have had a, you've had a really, really rough winter, haven't you? It really has. You know, a lot of times uh, we think the broadcasters sort of inflate and exaggerate, but uh, I actually have several friends who literally were caught overnight 15 to 20 hours, stuck out on the road, no air, no heat, no food, no bathroom. I mean, just actually stuck out on 285, could not go anywhere. It was real. From like an inch of snow? No, honestly, it wasn't the snow. It was, the, it was two things. Oh, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, they, they, there was almost no snow. Two things happened. One, uh, I think the media scared the city, and so <laughs> two okay. to three million people tried to go home at one time. Oh no! And no, for real. And then by five or six, five o'clock or six o'clock, we actually had ice on the roads, and that shut us down completely. Wow! You you guys don't have salt trucks in Atlanta, do you? No, but we just but we have a lot of sugar, but we put that in our iced tea. And, and, uh, <laughs> I don't know that the sugar does any good for you on uh, icy pavement. I, anyway. I don't think so. We have a lot of sugar here, but no salt. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's a bad scene. Well, Dan, you know, we've got a lot of new listeners that are on since the last time that you would have joined us, uh, Well, since the time you started, uh, back way back in, way back in August of 13. <laughs> and so that was uh, so yesterday um you know well you know and i'm really young i'm i'm just you know 50 and i remember you but we've got we've got even younger guys that they might hear dan ryland and they think well who is this dude you know where did he come from shame on them <laughs> so so dan just uh i remember I'm, i remember hearing stories about you when you came to skyline wesleyan i think as an intern did you come That's there right. as an intern? Just tell us, tell us how it was that you got there, and how it was that you stayed there. <laughs> 
Well, I was finishing my uh, work at Asbury Theological Seminary, and uh, I was sent out, one of the preacher boys, they used to say way back then, uh, from Pastor Orville Butcher from Skyline, sent out from that church to Asbury. And when you came, when you graduated, there was an automatic sort of return to be an intern at the church. Well, uh, after Pastor Butcher's 27-year reign of leadership, uh, he left while I was gone, so I didn't know if I was going to go be an intern there or not, and this this guy named John Maxwell came, and we didn't know who he was, but we heard the reverberation of his extraordinary leadership all the way to Kentucky, and anyway, so I, I did end up being uh, an intern there for a year. John met me uh, at, a, at a leadership conference. The district superintendent got us introduced, and I went there. Uh, was a an intern for a year, and we don't know if it was good or bad because I was John's first intern for his <laughs> first year, and he shut the program down at the end of the year. Oh my! <laughs> so I don't know if it was good or bad. So that sounds bad, but he said, "Dano, I want you to stay with me," and that was like thirty three years ago. So, and we've been together. You know, we were together twenty years straight. You know, full time. And we still do projects together. Yesterday, I was in a lengthy meeting with him, working on a book project. He's his next book. And so it's a long-time ministry partnership. I love him to death. He's my mentor. That's great. You know what? I never did hear. I never heard that part of it, though, where John actually shut down a leadership program. He said, look, I found the top. I found the cream of the crop. Couldn't get any better. No point in looking any further. I got Dan Ryland. I don't know, baby, but he... He, he shut down the internship. We, I was the his first and the last. <laughs> now, now, are you the one where he talks about the guy who walks right through the group of people right I'm to his office? One. You're the I'm guy. The I'm you know, the so, you know. Someday we're going to have to play that clip off of. I think it was on what one of the first 100 leadership lessons he he did. Yep. I have all hundred cassette tapes in some. <laughs> dark corner of my office somewhere. <laughs> and I, I, I love, you know, what's even more fun, because that was a long time ago, and of course there was some great mentoring moments that came from that, and I've learned much. And uh, But what I really love, and he and I have the most fun, is watching how the story grows over the years. I mean, <laughs> when I hear him tell it in conferences now, you'd think I had horns and a pitchfork, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and I hate people, and... and uh, but maybe I was. I, mean, I probably was that bad. I had no idea. But but anyhow, uh, I actually did. I heard story. him. I heard him just the other day. He was live, and he said, "This guy, he just he just groused his way through this circle of people." And he said, "Get the blank out of my way," and he went running <laughs> to his office. <laughs> yeah, he, and you know, and he has, and he had a cigar and a drink in his hand. <laughs> well, and, thank and God you refined, Dan. Uh, well, you know, I, I've learned a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, um, you know, I caught you on Twitter last year, and I, I direct messaged you, and you were kind to notice, and then I had the audacity to ask you to, to join us on a podcast episode. And, you know, since I, I meant to look up the numbers, I don't know what they are exactly, but since you started with us, I think probably we've uh, at least tripled, if not quadrupled, our oh, yeah. our weekly downloads and our and our listeners so we're we're running right now at about 2000 downloads a week and um that's been uh that's just been fun to see that go and we don't really know who who most of them are but uh, we do get emails from time to time so thanks for helping us do this it's my pleasure i love the local church uh you guys are a blast both you and johnny are just this is awesome 
and uh, I, I often wonder what you guys would be like if you drank. You know what I'm saying? But because uh, you're already pretty nuts, so. <laughs> Well, we're not gonna. We won't go down that road <laughs> yeah, for several reasons. Jeff's, Jeff's like, ah, oh, we. I don't want to talk about those stories. No, yeah. uh. I do have a lot of Lutheran friends. I tell you one really fast story, and we'll get back in. Yeah, uh, I was consulting in a church years years ago, and and uh, a couple of Lutheran guys, just awesome, awesome guys in Minnesota, and uh, they said, well, let you know. After we worked all day, we said, well, let's go out to get something to eat. We went out to this place, and it had it. It featured. 101 international beers. And I said, well, I, I really don't drink. I'm, you know, like to have fun, but that's just not my deal. And so I'll have an iced tea. And I, and I said to the guy, I said, 101 kinds of beer. Wow, what's the goal? I said, well, they're supposed to try to t- try them all. I said, wow, that would take a, to try them all. I said, yeah. I said, that would take a really long time. And they looked at me go and said, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused why that would take a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they weren't laughing. No, <laughs> no they, they were not. not. Yeah. No, but they, and they were always in a good mood. So you know what I'm saying? I don't know. <laughs> For all of our Lutheran constituents, uh, this is not a reflection on your people. That's oh, funny. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> We, one of my best buds is a Lutheran. Mark Eichen is one of our campus pastors here. I call him my favorite Lutheran. And um, we love to torture him by making him teach the baptism class. And uh, <laughs> uh, we, we love Mark. He's our favorite Lutheran. We've got, yeah, we, we have all, everybody's on this team. So that's not a slam. That's a, those are love remarks. <laughs> we're, we're dropping listeners left and right as we talk. <laughs> yes, we are. Am I digging a hole big enough for you to dig out? Yeah, oh, yeah, no problem. No problem. We've got big shovels. Hey, <laughs> let's, get into, let's get into today's content, and I'm going to put a link on our blog post uh, for today to the article you wrote called Three Dangers Small Churches Face. And in this article, you start out by talking about in the last Pastor's Coach article you wrote, you wrote about three dangers that large churches face, and I thought, well, that that really looks interesting too. But I'm gonna we're gonna pass over that, and we're gonna get to the three dangers. And the first one you have in here is believing that if believing that if the church is small, it doesn't make a big difference. And uh, we've talked a lot about that, and yet I think that over and over, pastors need to hear that they they can hear it and they can nod their head and say yes, and they can say I believe it, but. Uh, over time, that 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 uh, conviction tends to leak, t- tends to leak, and you think that if your church isn't a certain size, it really can't make much of a difference. Well, I, I believe strongly that your church, the small churches, make a huge difference. I mean, most of America is made up of small churches, and or small. I like to say smaller churches. That's a right. I think a broader, healthier term. And because and, and, for me, it's all about life change and the, the churches that are reaching out, impacting people, loving people and, and fully engaged in a ministry of redemption. They're making a huge difference. And uh, and I think I think, too, that all large churches start small and and it's just a matter of allowing God to. To allowing God the freedom to see how big, uh, how it will grow, how far it will go, how far, how far it will reach. But it's really about the life impact far more than it is how big it gets. And you talked in here about, in the article about people, you know, are, are people getting saved? Are, are marriages being healed and uh, healed? And is there compassion? And is it, is it being demonstrated in the community by people in the church and our young adults you know, being called into ministry, or I guess we would say at this point in the game, are young adults serving God in whatever 
it is they're doing whether or not they're in full-time ministry. And and I'm wondering, isn't that just as hard to measure in a large church as it is in a small church or even in a medium-sized church? Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's sometimes even harder to do, but definitely doable and definitely measurable in, in both cases. It's, it's more difficult, I think, in the larger environment, but doable. And sometimes easy, relatively easy to measure. But I, I, think, I think the bottom line for both small and large church, this, all of that stuff, marriages being healed, people in community, young adults called to ministry, people getting saved, it's very doable, but we've got to stay on it because the pressures of ministry, uh, what, I, so what I sometimes say is the, the machine over the mission, when the, the machine will rise up, and energy feeds the machine, and it will rise up, and it will take over. So we got to fight to push the machine back down so the mission rises up, and we can actually accomplish that stuff. So that's what I mean when I say it's very doable. The, these things can be accomplished, but the, the organization, the machine works of the church will gobble up all our time and energy if we let it. That sounds like some Terminator stuff, Dan. <laughs> We gotta rise up against the machine, man. We gotta rise up, baby, against the machine. <laughs> Perfect. As a, as a kid of the '60s, I actually can relate. You know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. In here, you talk about growing from 60 to 65 people in a year, uh, with 10 people uh, being saved, right? Having 10 salvation yeah, decisions. Yeah, yeah. Is better than going from 100 people to 150 people, but but there's no salvation decisions. You, you're talking about, you know, you cannot measure impact by butts in the seats. Uh, you, you're measuring impact by life change, basically. Absolutely. Uh, alluding to that just a minute ago, I think the kingdom of God is based on redemption, not the size of the church. Yeah. Now, obviously, the, the bigger the church, the greater the reach, and the greater the reach, the more potential for salvation. That's true. We all get that. So you, you want that front end going. You want people coming in. Yeah. But, but uh if if you've got a church that's sort of stuck at 150 and it just stays there or grows from 100 and 150 to 150 and nobody got saved, I think we've got a big question as to what what is the church doing? Where where are the resources going? What is the leadership energy about there? I think it's a big, big question. I would call the church that goes from 60 to 65 and 10 people got saved much healthier, far greater kingdom impact. And in the long term, probably going to rise up and go farther. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as soon as I read this, that, you know, believing that a church is small, so it doesn't make a big difference. I thought of that, that difference between discipleship and, and, you know, uh, soul winning kind of chart that people put out. And they say, if I, if I get lead a hundred people to Jesus this year and next year, and next year, next year, right. Then we plot out in 10 years, it's been a thousand people led to Jesus. But if I disciple a much smaller group and then those disciples make disciples and I continue to make disciples, you know, then that, that disciple number actually gets a lot bigger than, uh, the soul winning number after I think year four or five. I don't know if anybody's ever sat down, uh, with you to do that. But the first time I saw that, I thought, man, small groups, right? But just right investing your life into a smaller group of people that can have huge impact over the long haul. And so when we think we don't have a big difference just because we're only preaching to 60 people, no, you're having a huge difference in the life of 60 people who can now have a huge difference in the life of their sphere of influence. Absolutely. Massive amounts of influence. If they simply um, sort of stay on mission and keep outreach oriented. And, and then, of course, like you just said, 
you know, discipling people so that they multiply themselves into the same, the same big deal, the same, so the same big idea. So that's the first danger. Thinking just because you have a small church, you can't make a big difference. And the truth is, you can. The truth is, if it's Jesus' church, it's going to make a difference because he's the one who's leading it. The, the second danger that you talked about was chasing feeling good over doing right. And again, you know, these dangers are not solely for small churches. I think this is, you know, for any size. I think that one is a big one if we want to be honest about it. I think all of us. Right. right. I, I was just going to say, I think it's true for all of us. Uh, but I think sometimes the smaller church can can be tempted to that a, a, a little bit more, maybe. Um, but we all we all are. I think I think sometimes smaller churches, you know, they'll they'll say they want to grow, but sometimes when you when you go visit, they you're not. It doesn't look like or feel like they are. Sometimes I call it a surface friendly, which large churches can large churches can do too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's really about the mindset of the of the local church and the mindset of the people and for me i think if we're really honest people's lives are full people people are really really busy we call it i call it time compression people's lives are full but we've got to make room and i i think sometimes pastors of smaller churches people in smaller churches and sometimes larger too we get this notion that We've got to go get everybody. We've got to go do everything. We've got to go reach everyone. And that's not only not true, it's impossible. And so we get kind of frozen where if we just say we acknowledge that people are really busy, we acknowledge that lives are very full, but we have room for one person. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got room for one person. I love what the Andy Stanley gave a recent talk. And uh, he, he talks about do for one what you wish you could do for many. And I think if we just teach and preach and adopt and embrace that, you know, what can you do for one? Meaning chasing, reaching people rather than making your feeling good, meaning the the church feels comfortable. I I think huge things happen. Yeah. And just because you can't do it for everybody doesn't mean you shouldn't do it for somebody. And as you were talking about this, Dan, I thought about intentionality and I thought, Large churches will be friendly if they have the intention of being friendly and if they're intentional about it. And often in a large church, you have to be very intentional, right? Because this whole big group of people isn't just going to always do the right thing. Uh, You have to be intentional about how you set things up and how things are going to work. But but I think the myth is that in the small church, oh, it's just going to happen. We don't have to be intentional about it. Oh, we'll just be friendly. We'll care about people. I think probably you have to be just as intentional, no matter if it's a small or a large church. Well said, well said. In both environments, you, the pressures are different, the look and the feel is different, but the temptation uh, to just assume it's going to happen is very real. And since we're talking about the smaller church environment, I think we kind of lace some uh, assumptions into that environment that it's always friendly and while that's, I think that's the heart of the smaller church, certainly, that isn't always the reality of the smaller church. And you, you, you hit it dead on with, with the word intentionality. If we don't lean into that and say, what, what actually makes it work? What actually embraces a new person and what actually really makes it <clears throat> feel friendly? But again, here's the key. In a mission-oriented way, 
not a way that makes us feel good. Sometimes if you define success as, well, we all feel good, we all know each other, we all feel good about each other, we're attending to the fellowship, you know, kind of a thing. That's a different kind of thing than doing right, which means having genuine, warm relationships, but those relationships are focused outward, not inward. Bottom line, if if I could maybe say it more succinctly, is what do you get excited about? Do you get excited? Are you, do you feel good and enthusiastic and excited about the reaching out or the, the kind of caring for within? And the truth of the matter is you've got to be reaching out oriented or the church will stall out and stay smaller. I think part of what you're talking about has to come down to preaching and teaching even and the pastor saying, hey, we need to be a mission oriented church. And small churches have different dynamics and there's money people and those money people make more of a difference and you know those that's uncouth to talk about, right? Um, right but right. it's reality and so if if I've got people that I'm afraid of putting off by telling us that we need to do a better job of caring for those in our community, I might seek feeling good over doing right. And the doing right like you're just saying Dan is that's the mission, right? That's the that's to be reaching out and be outwardly focused not constantly worried about your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dan, you talked in here about a, a pastor who stands in the quote-unquote receiving line to greet the people as they leave the church. Johnny, point the finger somewhere else. <laughs> he's pointing the finger at me, Dan. It's not polite. We need uh, a video podcast for a moment. As long like as this. he's just pointing the finger at you and not, oh, never mind. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. As John, as John says, right? He, he thinks I'm number one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm number one. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you run here, it feels good, but it doesn't grow the church. And it's not bad to be in the receiving line, but it's not a good leadership use of time. Now, let, let, me, let me see if there's a both and here. In defense of the receiving line. Exactly, exactly. So, so I stand out in the lobby, and as people come out, um, you know, I say hello and I greet them. But I'm looking for the new people, sure. and I'm trying to connect up with the people that are new, and I'm trying to be strategic about who I spend time with. But being in that receiving line, now we have a wide exit. So people can go around and they can get by me and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm wide, but I'm not plugging any, you know, filling any (laughs) holes or anything like that. But it it is sometimes a challenge when Melba comes up to you and she comes up to you every single Sunday and wants to, you know, tell you everything that you didn't say or reiterate (laughs) everything you did say. So what what ideas do you have about that, Dan? I mean, can, can you do both? I mean, or should you stay in the front of the auditorium or sanctuary and, and look for people there? It's, it's all about the transition. Yes, you can do both, but there'll come a point in time when the church, if it's growing, is going to get too big for both. And the transition is the awkward point because the longer you train a congregation for, let's call it the receiving, and we know it's not quite that exaggerated right, receiving right. line, but, you know, the wonderful, friendly pastor who stands out front and, and, and greets, you know, Melva and everybody else, that, that at some the longer you do that, the longer you train your people that that's the expectation. And then the day you stop, they say, ah, he doesn't love us anymore. And that's the complication. That's the transition. So rather than accidentally doing that and causing the people when they're off at lunch to think he doesn't love us anymore, he doesn't stand out here and shake our hands anymore, and he, you, you <laughs> want to educate them as to why you, you're now down at the front or you're somewhere else or, or, or. And 
it's a tricky transition, but it begins with education. And then secondly, with a buffer. And the buffer is tending to your relationships so well during the week and tending toward your le- tending to your leaders so well during the week that you've told them that you're we, – we, sometimes we would jokingly be rude and say, now you know, to the leaders, just the leaders. You know I'm not even going to talk to you on Sunday. Right, right. And, and, and so – now it's, that's exaggerated. But they, they know. They expect that, that's, that you're going to be looking for new people or somebody that needs to be prayed for. And, and they're giving you that space because you're tending toward the, the relationships during the week so you can be freed up on the weekend – to look for the new people and pray for the hurting people. Absolutely. And, I, you know, you give me some things to think about. And, um, yeah. I, well, of course, when I change, of course, they'll know my heart, Dan, right? I mean, nobody would think anything. But they'd know I'd still love them, of course. No jilted and congregation members. They read your mind. Are you kidding? They read your mind. <laughs> oh, I don't care. I don't want them to read my mind as long as they read my heart. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, then you'll, and then down here, the, what you'll get is, well, Pastor, bless your heart. Now, I'm not going to go here anymore, but bless your heart. Bless your heart. Amen. We, we're not against what you're doing. We just hate you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we like change as long as it doesn't affect me. <laughs> right. I would love to change other people. That sounds perfect. Oh, boy. And every one of our listeners knows this thing's going right down the tubes really fast. <laughs> Too close to reality. Hey, the third danger. So let's see. What was the first danger? Believing that your small church can't make a big difference. And then chasing feeling good over doing right. And that intentional piece, yeah. I mean, I I like to make people feel I, I like them to be encouraged. I mean, that's the whole purpose sure. of our podcast, right, is ministry encouragement. Sure. Why? Because I want people to feel good. But, but I want them to feel good for the right reasons. Because that's they're right. doing right. Yeah. But I think uh, especially in a small church, Dan, right? I mean, Sunday, it's the day. I that's mean, it. it's the time, and if you don't connect with people then, chances are you're not going to connect with them. Yeah. So the third uh, danger, trading dreams for duty. And you said in here that, you know, the, the pastor gets to the church and he's all liquored up, no pun intended. Not and, it, at a Lutheran church, maybe. At a Lutheran church. But, now, you, now you're doing it. I didn't <laughs> say that. I didn't say that. But, but then often something happens. After a couple years, the dream begins to fade. You run into a few brick walls. You don't want to do that anymore. The vision grows dim, and what was once a passion-filled service turns to faithful duty. And you said, I want to remind you of your dream and vision when you came to the church. Um, have you have you had that experience, and or have you worked with guys who have had that experience where all of a sudden their ministry just becomes something that they have to do because they no longer expect great things to happen? Uh, absolutely. I, I've personally experienced it in the press and the pressure of ministry where I feel like it's just duty and not at a heart level, but duty in a responsibility kind of machine like I just got to, you know, uh, get the work done. I, I think everybody's maybe experienced that some. My cons- And that's that's got some common natural stuff to it. My concern, guys, is that f- for the pastors that get to that point and kind of stay there, the, the duty part of it. Because the, the, good, the good part of the word duty is a leader who's very responsible. The bad part of that notion is a guy who gets stuck there 
and and believes that that passion filled service that that notion of of vision is gone i want to say to them and i do say to them take your dream back go get your dream back go go get it back it was god gave it to you don't let the people rob it of you go get it back fight for it and and fight hard to make tough decisions fight hard to make tough decisions to stop doing things that people think you need to do or you think you need to do and focus on new Christians, evangelism, leadership development, prayer, the things we all know is right are right, but they'll get robbed from the schedule if we let them. And and um, it, I, I'm not saying it's easy, guys. It's not easy, but it's doable. It's very doable. You know, one of the things we've talked about before on the podcast is creating an environment of change in your church. And so when change becomes normal, uh, you kind of avoid duty in a lot of ways because you can, you know, stay flexible and move forward. People are accustomed to things being a little different uh, once in a while. It's not so strange and weird. And I think that that what you're saying, Dan, is so true for pastors is that this can turn. Jeff likes to say we're not making widgets, right? But we can turn certain aspects of our job into making widgets and yep. you know there's just at, oh I got to do this and I got to do this and we just start to flow right into the duty uh style of of leadership as opposed to the dreamer style of leadership and that's I think a great way to the you ended this article cuz it's it's a reminder and a call back to the vision that Jesus gave you when you first got to your church and men and women out there, you were given a vision by God for your church. He placed you there for a reason and there is work to do where you are and take your dreams back and get out of that flow of just making widgets and get back into what, what God created you to do. Dan, thanks for, uh, for joining us today. And we've, uh, we've had you on the whole time. We, we really haven't done that with too many guests. And uh, also, he's kind of hiding, but in here, in the luxurious studio, we, we actually have a guest. We have, we have a peanut gallery You're today, shout Dave. out our guest, yeah. A we, peanut gallery. All right. We, we do. We've got a, we've got a red-bearded guy here <laughs> who's, a, who's a friend of Johnny's. Uh, yes. I think he actually pays him to come every like six months and visit. I I have to get somebody up here. Yeah. So he has been. He got an extra set of uh, earbuds and he's been sitting in here listening. And uh, I had to wake him up a couple times, but uh, <laughs> it's it's good to have him here. Anyway, uh, are we, we going to get a name or maybe not? Yeah. Hi. This is Derek. Derek. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Derek's not a big talker. It's all right. Yes. Well. Uh, Derek, glad to glad to meet you. You are now, you know, officially part of the team. So go back to sleep now. It was nice to meet you. Dan, I just don't want you to judge me based on these two. <laughs> I won't. Is this but happening? I'm trying to imagine a red beard or hair or something. I don't I don't know. <laughs> oh man. Oh boy. Funny. Well, Dan, hey, thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to you the last week uh, of April. All right. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and challenged by this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday to provide you with more ministry encouragement as you pastor your 200 church. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love your people.